The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? That's one of the favorites of our guest today. Our guest today has been writing about movies since 2011, going from blogger to contributor to full-fledged freelancer. He's written for a variety of publications such as uh, Dig Baton Rouge, the Hammond Daily Star, and Film Threat. He's currently writing with Big Easy magazine, so you can probably tell where he's from. Uh, and he also has a blog called New Real Idea. Uh, he's also apparently Rotten Tomatoes approved, and I'm going to ask him about that at some point during our visit today. I want to know what, what's involved with that. Uh, he's also got an exciting new project that he's uh, working on right now that we will certainly talk about as well to uh, try to build a new local New Orleans home for film journalism. I hope my audience will uh, join me in welcoming Bill Arsenault to the program. Hi, Bill. Hey, everyone. As I start off all my programs with, I was just kind of curious if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, growing up, uh, family, education, things like that. Um, well, uh, I come from a pretty uh, normal, uh, well, <laughs> normal's pretty relative. Uh, I come yes. from a pretty interesting uh, Cajun uh, family, uh, or at least on my dad's side it's Cajun, my mom's side it's more Creole, uh, so it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, we have been, we were from here in Louisiana, of course, uh, we lived in Georgia for a couple of years, but we moved back, uh, around 2002, I believe. Uh-huh. And, uh, since 2011, I've been writing pretty professionally or <laughs> semi-professionally, maybe sometimes as a, uh, film critic, film writer, uh, and occasionally as a, uh, just a regular old uh, news reporter on occasion. Okay. Well, what what was it that sparked your interest in uh, in film to begin with? I mean, was there like a seminal moment when you said, wow, you know, this is something I want to be connected with, I want to write about? Was there something that oh, happened? Well, uh, I, can, I can tell you that my earliest uh, memory, uh, the, the, the one that, that really sticks out to me that as the one memory that uh, – I guess kind of kicked things off was me walking down a hallway and seeing Rocky four on VHS and my dad and my brother watching it. And, uh, it was the, uh, the, um, uh, no way out mon- video montage. There's no easy way out, you know? And, 
that that kind of it's weird how you you remember things from yeah. um, when you're when you're a child and uh, or a toddler even and that's one of them and uh, I would say that kind of got the ball rolling. Yeah, and and was there a particular moment when uh, you started to develop a, a an interest in film music in particular? I think my interest in film music comes from a place of inadequacy. Uh, which means what I mean by that is that I, I tend to focus more on a movie's feeling and mood when it comes to writing uh-huh. uh, and how it makes me feel, how I feel about others, you know, so on and so forth. And I don't always get to write about the music unless it's particularly profound in some way, um, which is a shame because I think uh, the musicians and um you know, people who uh, orchestrate music do a fantastic job for the most part. Uh, it's almost like a um, kind of an unsung position. You know, uh, you don't really get as much credit. It's almost like cinematographer in a way. They don't, you know, usually it's, it's the, the, all the attention is directed towards the director. And right. uh, so when, whenever I do get into uh film music and uh, I start listening to it on Spotify and things like that. I try to really pay as close attention to detail as possible and see how the music is making me feel. And if it makes me feel as much as the story did or uh, how it matches in that department. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen a a rough cut of a film that has no music track, you start to understand just how important music is because a lot of times it just falls so flat. It's amazing what it can add, you know, to a film. Oh, absolutely. There's a YouTube clip of uh, an editor who took uh, this very important scene from uh, the climax of E.T. and he stripped the uh, the music out of it, and it's just the sound effects. It's just the them walking and the grass blowing and stuff like that, and it's painfully awkward, you know. And uh, with with the music, of course, it's bombastic, it's emotional, it it has meaning. But without it, it's just people standing around. Yeah, that's that's a great example. Great example. <laughs> um, I, I love your list of things that you came up with, if for no other reason because there's some things, some cues and scores that I'm not familiar with, and a couple of composers that I'm not. So I'm really excited to to dive into that now. You did pick some ones though that I am very familiar with, and so it's a nice it's a nice mix of things that we'll talk about today. Uh, the first cue I wanted to play was um, from uh, the movie to- Toy Story. Uh, this particular cue is called Andy's Birthday. What's what's your what's your thinking on why that would make your list of top uh, movie scores the one from Toy Story? Well, I kind of pulled from well, like I said, from how movies make me feel and uh, from how the music makes me feel. And Toy Story Four was something I recently saw, and uh, it kind of made me reevaluate where I stood on the first movie. And of course, there's a lot of criticisms you can levy, you know, like oh, the animation isn't necessarily as clean cut as it is now, but that's not something they can, you know, necessarily fix or whatever. But the, and that doesn't you know take away from the pa- impact of the movie. Uh, but when it comes to that music, it's 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 specifically Andy's first birthday. It's the uh, introduction music to the to the movie when the Pixar logo goes away and then we see the wall the, of clouds and mm-hmm. then we move down from it and then uh, we see the the action. You know, we see Andy beginning to play with his toys and kind of mingling around and being a uh, being a child. 
and uh, and then we go on from there into the, uh, the the presents and you know the toys kind of going what's 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 going to happen today you know what's what's the uh, what's the score you know and so, then, so course, you just really connected with it in other words I guess yes <laughs> yes yeah, that's what yeah. I'm well, let's um let's have a listen to this. Uh, Randy Newman, I believe, is the uh, yes. composer on this, uh, who's had a really interesting career. He's done some pop songs and uh, but also done some very serious film music. But uh, let's have a listen to this cue. This is from is is it from Toy Story or Toy Story Four? The first Toy Story. Oh, okay, uh, and the cue is uh, called Andy's Birthday. Let's have a listen.
curious um do you recall what was the first what was the first review that you ever wrote that actually got you know picked up or that you were paid for do you remember what the movie was Ooh, uh that's a good question uh i know the first review i ever wrote that i intended to have published was actually before 2011 this was in uh i believe 2006 when superman returns came out Mm -hmm. uh it was a review for superman returns and I pitched it to the Hammond Daily Star because I was living in Hammond at the time. And uh, they never really got back with me on that one. I never brought it up to them. I just thought that was kind of funny, you know, that they never brought it up. And then eventually I, I would start writing for them uh, later in, in my career. Right. Uh, but uh, that was that was kind of the first uh, try. As far as the first uh, published review is concerned, um, I want to say it was... Probably some – oh, no. The New Orleans Film Society had sent me a, uh, a slew of uh, DVDs for their festival, and uh, one of them was a uh, movie called A Funeral for Asharifi. So it was an African documentary hmm. uh, about uh, kind of their version of Mardi Gras celebrations and second lining and stuff and uh, the origins of those things. And – that wasn't a particularly good documentary, so it was kind of a negative movie review. <laughs> but I really did appreciate the fact that the film society recognized me as someone who, you know, could potentially contribute to the community. Yeah. So I mean, did uh, I don't recall you saying anything about this? So do you? Does someone like you go to film critic school or or take oh. classes or how do you how do you how do you how do you get put yourself in a position where you are? Uh, you know, able to write intelligent reviews that, well, you know, be ex well, anyway, yeah, tell me. <laughs> well, I would say first, first off, uh, to, to anyone listening to this, that if you want to be a film critic, the big thing you have to do is to watch movies a lot and to read books a lot. Uh, those two are very important. Uh, books on movies, books on uh, really just writing, uh, or books from very uh, good writers. Uh, it's almost like what Quentin Tarantino would say. He would say uh, his best film school was the video store and the movie theater. Mm. You know? uh, now, me personally, I, I went to Southeastern Louisiana University. I didn't fully graduate, but I did take uh, English courses. That was my major. And uh, I was very much encouraged by those classes to continue writing. Uh, the teachers there were very uh, enthusiastic and very... Uh, uh, thought-provoking and passionate and uh, that really got got me going on this could be something that I could do for a living and uh, from there my, my parents kind of you know uh, encouraged me and you know really were like no you got to write every day you know and then that's where my blog started okay okay yeah um, you chose as another one on your favorite list uh, I'm not familiar with it at all, the composer or the film. Uh, it's from a film, I believe it's called uh, uh, Demon. 
the yes. composer Cla- Claudio Simonetti. Is that how you say it? I guess. Uh, I believe Simonetti. It's, I, I believe it's Simonetti. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sir. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you know your thinking on including that in your uh, favorite list because it does seem kind of a you know not necessarily a mainstream film. No, it's well, it's kind of a uh, cult classic, uh, I believe. Uh, it's uh, from the eighties, <laughs> the, the the golden eighties, uh, Italian mm. cinema. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a movie called Demons. It takes place in a movie theater where um, uh, basically zombies and or demon. It's not really clear if they are zombies, but basically demon possessed people. Uh, come about after a horror movie has been shown and people are trapped in the theater and they have to find a way out. It goes okay. from horror to action to comedy very quickly. And, uh, the, the, but the soundtrack is, is amazingly, uh, electronic and vivid. Uh, it's, it's yeah. reminiscent of, uh, if you were to think nowadays of something that would be on a soundtrack from, um, Oh God, I'm uh, I'm struggling to think of the uh, the director now. The director of Drive. I, I, I'm drawing a blank on that one. Okay, he also directed uh, Only God Forgives. He directed. Mm. Uh, and this is the guy who directed Demon as well. No, he didn't direct Demon as oh, well. Oh, but he, it's the same style he's, he's, is what you're saying, just, yeah. Yeah, he has the same style of uh, you know, like it brings about images of neon lights, you know, uh, pulsating electrical. Uh, uh, visuals, you know, it, it just brings about so many things in your mind. And that's what this cue kind of contains. I, the note I wrote to myself was driving percussion. So I, I think, uh, I think yes. you'll find it interesting as we listen to this uh, really, really nice piece. This is from the film uh, Demon, and it's written uh, by composer Claudio Simonetti. Let's have a listen.
you know, I've always wanted to ask a film critic this question because you must look at a film different than, or must experience watching a film different than I do. How on earth can you pick up everything in one viewing and, and, and do you, or do you have to watch something a couple of times in order to pick up everything you want to take in? Uh, no, I mean, like, um, as far as one viewing goes, that's that's the big problem that I, that I sometimes encounter, which is why I usually bring a notebook with me. Uh, sure. Or or immediately afterwards, I will get to my office, my home office, and write in the notebook uh, several notes, or I'll hit Google Drive and write some notes. Um, it, it's always good to have that kind of point of reference, but uh, first viewing – you know, I, again, I go with mood. I go with feeling. Uh, how did the movie make me feel? How did it make others around me feel? You know, that kind of thing. And then I kind of uh, expand upon that. Um, but sometimes it does take, you know, a, a couple, maybe a day or two before a, a full, uh, comfortable rating in your mind sets in. And then you're able to come up with a nice little score for the movie if you want to do that. Um, of course, I always say the review is what matters. You know, what's in the actual body of the review is what is important, not so much the score. The score is more or less just kind of for fun, kind of to gauge, you know, like, uh, if someone wants to read a summary, you know, that can be the summary portion. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, uh, first viewing is important. Of course, obviously you have to watch the movie at some point, but, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to say. It just depends, I think, on your on how the movie, you know, uh, how you reacted to the movie, how good the yeah. movie. Was, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking to myself too. You can't you can't hit pause as you write down your notes, and you've got to be really focused. So to me, it just I'm I'm kind of amazed at sometimes the when I read reviews, the uh, the the level of detail that people are able to describe and and share with only watching it once, and maybe it's maybe I'm just not watching films the right way or something. But it's, no, it's, it's, no, it's amazing. It, yeah, I'm it, sure but your point movies. makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure you're watching movies movies the right way, sir. Well, it's I, mean, just, I guess uh, it's not a wrong way, but uh, no, no, of course not, but, Bob. So what's 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 your scoring system? Do you use like a one out of ten, or do you use a four or five star, or what? what what's oh, what? five stars. Okay. And, t- and typically I find that I give movies five stars more often than I give them like three stars or one star. I really like movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, there's this website called letterbox.com, which is kind of like a social network for movie rating. And uh, if you look at my profile, when it comes to zero to five, it looks like a staircase. It just keeps going up. <laughs> so the movies that, that I've rated five stars are more than the movies I've rated zero stars. And uh, my friends point this out, like, Bill, you got to be more critical. And I'm like, I am being critical. You know, I just love these movies. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, that's just me. Well, and it sounds to me like your approach is, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me that your approach is almost more, uh, it's more emotional than it is necessarily technical. In other words, I, 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 and, you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if okay, maybe, you know, Maybe the framing wasn't that great, or the editing sometimes suffered. But if it, but if it, if it hits a certain emotional uh, pitch with you, then you you, you kind of look past that, or is that that not? Oh accurate? no, that's 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 fully accurate. Uh, okay. I tend to go with what's what's under the skin uh, very okay. often. Yeah. Yeah. 
The um, the next cue you chose was from, uh, and this is going back. I'm trying to think. This might be back to the 1950s from a, uh, a film by uh, score by David Raskin. Uh, I believe the film is called Laura or the Bad and the Beautiful. We were just discussing no, it's, that it's, off it's, camera. It's called, it's called the Bad and the Beautiful. The score, the, the this particular song track is, uh, I believe the title is Laura, and then okay. the, there's a subtitle to it as well. Oh, okay. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about what uh, what caused you to uh, uh, include this in your list of favorites. Well, uh, you know, I I saw the Bad and the Beautiful for the first time on Turner Classic Movies, I believe, last year. Uh, I was just flipping channels and it was on and uh it was a Vin- vincetti minnelli uh and if i'm getting his name wrong uh please do forgive me but he mm-hmm. uh he he was uh uh this great filmmaker he uh, made this movie the bad and the beautiful about a uh, unscrupulous hollywood producer played by kirk douglas and uh it's kind of almost a citizen kane type story where it's told mostly in flashback uh you know like we see the three important people in his life or the three big regrets that he has in his life and you and you see them retell how they met him and how they interacted with him and ultimately how they had a falling out with him um and uh the, the score is just so big you know it it's going for this epic feeling and from the beginning when you see the 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 lion doing his roar for uh, MGM, right? Uh, and then the score, dun 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 dun. You know, you know, you're in for something really, you know, really special. special. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen to this. The uh, the cue is called "Love Is for the Very Young." It's basically the main title theme from the film "The Bad and the Beautiful," and it's written by David Raskin.
So I'm, uh, I'm curious, what does it, in your view, what, what skills or what abilities does one need to have in order to be a film critic? Now, and, and, and let me expand on that. It's amazing with the internet how things have exploded, and you know, you know, almost everybody's a film critic now, and they, <laughs> and they, you know, they post their own vlogs and all this other sort of thing. But I mean, the people that are seriously doing it and, and getting paid to do it, what what skills or abilities do you think it, one needs in order to be a, an effective film critic? Uh, well, I think first of all, <laughs> you, you really have to uh, be expressive and articulate, uh, very much so, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the, the the actual business of writing down your uh, review for others, you have to a take into account your readers and your audience. You have to assume they haven't seen the movie, or they have, but they want to have a deeper connection to it. So you have to really paint a picture for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really have to be vivid. You really have to use imagery sometimes, and just be as descriptive as possible. Um, Getting paid to do this, I mean, like, uh, some of us do, some of us don't. Uh, as a freelancer, you kind of take what you can get sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, and that's that's kind of the nature of it at the moment, uh, film criticism. You know, only, like, very few of us are getting staffing jobs. You know, those are the ones at the top. Right. Now, but, I mean, did you ever – have you ever worked on a film set or, or have you, you know, taken courses in, in cinematography oh. or editing or whatever? Or I'm just kind of curious if any of that stuff comes into play. No, uh, I, I, I used to do some video editing when I was in middle school and high school. This was back on, like, analog uh, video editing equipment where each, oh, wow. each editing equipment uh, – piece of equipment was basically – its own little computer and uh and you had to have two vcrs and two television sets and you had to edit live you know i've i've Uh, seen yeah i've seen that kind of a setup before yeah yeah that's how old i am and uh, i'm not that old but i mean you know that's technology moves so fast and uh I, i never actually took any classes on film or um film theory or filmmaking but i have assisted on a couple of independent film sets uh, one uh, on one, it was a uh, UNO film, student film for a friend of mine, and I was uh, an actor in it. Actually, I played the di- wow. I played a director of a, of a of a movie within a movie. Okay. And I, I remember I remember very importantly that uh, I had just gotten off of a shift at a grocery store that morning, uh, and <laughs> I had worked overnight. So then I had to drive across the lake to go to my friend's apartment to film the scene. And I was on like two or three energy shots, <laughs> uh, you know, so I was, I was really buzzed, uh, doing this. So, uh, but that's, that's, those are the breaks, you know? Yeah. Well, and so, and how did you review your performance? Do you, did you give it, you know, five stars? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I, I gave it, <laughs> I think it was more like two and a half, uh, I was I was noticeably very tired and very I had bags under my eyes I was just bloated looking I just <laughs> like I didn't want to be there you know oh well yeah well I, I did I did what I could you know yeah and it's great that you had the experience um, I'm not surprised uh, not surprised to see you uh, pick at least uh, one John Williams uh, piece of work this is from uh, Star Wars Episode One you uh, had chosen. Um, 
which really is what well, episode one was the fourth one in. Okay, and we all know how that goes. Uh, the Kuyu <laughs> it was, chose it was, was the dual. fourth one released, but it was the first movie in the continuity story. Yeah, right. Uh, the Kuyu chose was a duel of the fates. Is there a particular reason why you wanted to to, to play that particular cue? Well, it's kind of funny. The Phantom Menace is seen as being not very good and very controversial in terms of uh, Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I actually consider it to be the best of the prequels, uh, the best of that particular little trilogy that George Lucas made. Right. And uh, this particular score is one of the uh, is is probably the, the the big one, the more popular one, because um, this uh, bit, the Duel of the Fates takes place over the course of three settings uh, on this one planet, three action pieces. Uh, the one that it's most associated with is a uh, triple lightsaber fight between Obi-Wan Kenobi, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Darth Maul. But uh, for me, it goes across all three uh, sequences where it's got the lightsaber fight, a uh, mission to uh, take back the, uh, the government, and a uh, battle with droids. So you kind of go from one... Uh, action temperature and tempo to another and then to another uh all relatively uh within a small amount of time and space okay yeah and if i recall one of the things that was interesting about that film i i, I can't claim i know this with 100 percent certainty but this was one of the first uh, films shot digitally not on film and uh it, it always looked great on my projection tv i must admit it uh, it looked spectacular on that so let's um I, by the way do you know if that is that accurate what i'm is it the I, first I know, or I one know, of the first i know episode two uh, attack of the clones was was one of the first ones that was fully digital and was not just fully digital but also shown fully digitally uh by movie theaters uh, mm. Phantom Menace, I think, was had some film incorporated in that, but I think it, 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 I think George Lucas did use a lot of digital for it as well. Okay, okay. Well, let's have a listen. Uh, Duel of the Fates is the name of the cue. It's from the Phantom Menace, the uh, the first in the Star Wars episodics, Episode One, and it's uh, written by the maestro John Williams.
I'm just dying to ask this after uh, you had sent me your your short bio and that sort of thing. Um, how does one how does one become Rotten Tomatoes approved? <laughs> oh, uh, well, basically, uh, it's a long process. For for starters, I think you have to have written uh, X amount of reviews over the course of a couple of years. But really, uh, lately, they I kind of I kind of got in uh, recently because. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes changed up their rules for uh, counting critics, and they came up with a much easier submission policy for uh, applying to them. And so I, uh, I I went on their website. I looked up uh, what the application was all about. It's a, it's, I think it's a simple Google Doc form that you fill out, and then mm-hmm. you submit. And then after maybe two months, maybe a little sooner than that, uh, you either get approval or denial. And in my case, I got approval. So... Uh, as, as, an, as an official critic as opposed to just a, a cinema goer, right? Yeah, well, well, yeah, um, but, but it also helps to be a part of the Film Critics Association. And I've been a part of the, the Southeastern Film Critics Association since, I believe, 2004. Okay. Uh, I'm one of only two Louisiana writers that are uh, in that. The other one's Mike Scott. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's really the, the, the best way I would say is to first get in with a film critics association if you can, and then move into Rotten Tomatoes, uh, from how, just how powerful is Rotten Tomatoes now? I mean, that, it seems to me, I mean, it almost kind of started off as, I mean, I guess it was serious, but it did seem kind of. I don't know, kind of funny or whatever the, the the website and the whole concept of it. But I, I, uh, my guess is today it's like it's really powerful. You got to have a good score in Rotten Tomatoes or, or your film's dead. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say dead, but definitely from a critical standpoint, uh, if people do take that kind of stuff seriously, which I certainly hope they do, uh, you know, if moviegoers were to go, okay, this is my determining factor for seeing a movie. Then yeah, no, Rotten Tomatoes is very important. Um, it's gotten so to the point where they will announce what the official score for a movie is a couple of days ahead of time. Like get ready, get ready for the announcement. It's coming soon on Twitter, and then they'll release a little video clip and say dun 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 dun, and then they'll yeah. have the little uh, logo pop up as to what the score is, if it's fresh, if it's rotten, if it's just in the middle, you know that kind of thing. Let's look. In fact, I think what I'll do is I want to play two cues back to back. Um, the first one being from uh, Batman versus Superman, the Dawn of Justice, and that's written by Hans Zimmer and uh, Junkie XL. Is that correct? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, uh, the other one I would I would uh, play with that is something really entirely different from a movie called Eraserhead. And so I'm just wondering if you would uh, talk to us a little bit about why those two cues were uh, on your top, you know, all-time favorite list. Well, uh, you know, Batman v Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice is not a particularly, uh, it's kind of a train wreck of a movie. But I always (laughs) say the soundtrack, however, tells the story much better than the actual movie does. Wow. Uh, when it when it comes to this film. And it, and it does so in a very powerful way. You know, Hans Zimmer is a great composer and he adds this uh, this DJ and electronic musician, uh, Junkie XL, uh, who has done a lot of uh, scores lately, hmm. uh, into the fold to add a particular kind of uh, noise to the uh, to to the whole score. 
And it's it really does, like I said before, about painting a picture in, in reviews. This really does paint a picture in your in your mind by way of your ears. You know, okay. you really kind. Of, it's almost like it, it. It we just played John Williams. It's a little like that in that you know John Williams is operatic and he's telling a story with his music. This is like that. It's telling a story with music as well. Okay. Um, and now, uh, what about Eraserhead? Oh, Eraser. Oh man. Uh, I love this movie so much. Uh, I love David Lynch so much. Uh, this the the reason I chose this uh, particular score, and it's very interesting because on the soundtrack it's side A and side B, and both sides are mostly made of ambient mu- music and noises and atmosphere and stuff. Um, I believe at the mark that we're going to listen to, there is a almost carnival kind of music. Mm-hmm. That, that's the feel I get from it. You know, it's. Yes. it's it's carnivaly and um, <laughs> it's very unsettling too, and uh, that's exactly what he was going for—something you know, very, uh, very much in the ether, so to speak. You know, where it's it's not necessarily um, surface level; it's it's more just kind of all around you. Yeah, and uh, I, David Lynch gets a writing credit as well as uh, uh, let me see here, Alan Splett. Is that how it's said? I guess. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. I didn't even know David Lynch got involved in the music part. I mean, I know oh, he's always no. used a uh, goodness. I can't remember the guy's name. Angelo Bend. I can't even pronounce his last uh, name. That's Battle, who he usually Battle uses. Of, I know. Battle of Monte, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he uh, no Lynch has done scores himself. He did a he did the entire music for Inland Empire, one of his more recent uh, projects. He did a little bit with Twin Peaks, although that was another Angelo Battle of Monte. Uh, project right uh he's even had some music albums released where he's actually done songs huh just 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 music songs just rock songs or uh, yeah. electronic songs it's, he's a very weird guy <laughs> <laughs> well let's well yeah and and his movies are too but i mean but people love him hey yeah. let's uh, let's let's listen to this the the first one we'll play is uh from batman versus superman dawn of justice uh Q is called uh, This Is My World. Hans Zimmer and uh, Junkie XL are the composers on that. And then we'll follow that up with uh, a cue from uh, Eraserhead, uh, written by David Lynch and Alan Splett. Let's uh, sit back, relax, and grab a popcorn and have a listen.
curious. I'd uh, I'd like to learn more about uh, the current project that you're that you're working on. Something about film journalism and in New Orleans. Maybe could you tell us a little bit about what it is you're you're trying to accomplish with that? Uh, sure. Uh, well, I've I've had this idea for a while now uh, to do some kind of a publication for uh, other writers in town. Uh, recently, the New Orleans uh, Times Picayune was bought by the New Orleans Advocate and has merged. As a result, a lot of writers got laid off, including uh, Mike Scott, uh, who was their movie critic and uh, historian, and he kind of wore a lot of hats. Uh, but he was a very good movie critic, and uh, I feel like that was kind of like the last straw, so to speak. Uh, before that, we had a couple other critics kind of fall off because they got laid off by uh, a couple different uh, other outlets, and um, I, I just really wanted to come up with sort of a central uh, home, so to speak, for uh, for local film writing. And, uh, yeah, I, I have this GoFundMe project going right now to uh, set up some establishing funds for the website and for having a budget to uh, pay writers uh, and to foster, hopefully, the next generation of writers, too. And I take it that this isn't just about uh, uh, having people write uh, critiques on films or something, because I noticed you use the term film journalism. So you're talking about having them cover all aspects because there's, you know, it's a pretty vibrant community in New Orleans and South Louisiana right now. Yeah, no, Hollywood South deserves it. Uh, I, 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 I would love to include like interviews with filmmakers and actors and uh, industry professionals and uh, theater owners. Uh, I also want to do essays, you know, critical essays on films, mm -hmm. uh, either cl classics or obscures or Southern made movies. So it won't just be simply movie reviews. It'll, it'll just be including – that'll be a big part of it, but it will also be essays and interviews uh, as well, a commentary. Okay. And I'll, I'll try to uh, make sure we put this on the website, but just for uh, – uh, just to go ahead and let them know, where is it that they can go to help you out with this or to learn more about it? Oh, uh, well, probably the easiest place to say over the air, because the GoFundMe link is very uh, long, uh, you can go to <laughs> Facebook.com slash NOLA Movie Review, and okay. you should be able to find a link to it right right on that page. Okay, Facebook.com slash NOLA, that's you know, N-O-L-A, the abbreviation for New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, it's NOLA Movie Review. Movie Review, all one word, I guess? or Yes, sir. Okay. All right, so uh, yeah, please do check that out. I think that would it'd be great to what you're describing there. I think it would be fabulous to have something like that here in the area. Um, a classic score that you uh, that you chose that made your list. Uh, I happen to like it as well as well as the composer. This is from uh, Back to the Future. Uh, Alan Silvestri. Uh, the cue is called Skateboard. Uh, skateboard Chase. Excuse me. Um, tell us a little bit about. Uh, you're thinking on uh, including that on your uh, on your favorites list. Oh well, uh, anytime uh, Silvestri pops up in a movie that is released now, like his most recent one was Avengers Endgame. Uh, my brother, my twin brother Bobby, he uh, he's just he just gets all ecstatic about it. Like, oh, that's the guy who did Back to the Future. This <laughs> is this is going to be amazing. And you know, he, Back to the Future is like his favorite movie. Uh, I think because it was released on the year that we were born, 1985. 
or because 1985 has to do with the plot too, you know? Right. And uh, so he's very attached to that movie in a very personal way. And uh, I guess I am too, in, in a way as well. And uh, this particular score, you know, you know, it's, it's very evocative. It's very fun. It's mm-hmm. very, to use a word that's not really a word, sparkly. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just very, it's, it's got a nice action to it. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, and it fits. I mean, it just, it's, you, you almost can't imagine anything else, uh, uh, any other kind of style of music going with it. It just fits perfectly. Well, let's, sure. um, let's have a listen to this. This is from back to the future. The cue is called skateboard chase and it's written by Alan Silvestri. I'm interested that um, given the fact that you are obviously well connected and have been in the area for a long time and uh, and connected with the film community for a long time, how do you uh, how do you see the future of the film industry in uh, in New Orleans as well as you know all throughout South Louisiana? Well, uh, I see it at, a, at an interesting point. We've seen some ups and downs with the tax credits. Uh, we've seen some uh, productions move to other places. I got a little worried when the uh, the abortion law came to be when our mm-hmm. governor passed that because uh, uh, Hollywood didn't really take too kindly to it in Georgia. Why should they take kindly to it here in Louisiana? Uh, but so far, that hasn't really affected much of the productions. We've actually seen an increase uh, in in a lot of uh, television and movies coming down here. Uh, you, you know, so uh, I, I think it's it's. It's going to keep going. What I want to see is more investment in the independent uh, community, uh, the filmmakers that are up and coming, the filmmakers not necessarily in school, but the ones that are just trying to make their movie and trying to get it seen at all. Yeah. Uh, the New Orleans Film Society and NOVAC, the New Orleans Video Access Center, do great work in these respects. Uh, but I would love to see more investment from, uh, from bigger companies and bigger organizations. 
there's an amazing uh, pool of talent in the in the independent film community down here in Louisiana, uh, and I've had the privilege of working with some of them, and and will continue to do so. And so, yeah, I agree with you. It'd be great to see that continue to grow and to be vibrant, and and hopefully it will with the, all the other activity that's going on down here. Um, Bill, look, you've been very generous with your time, and uh, I, I really enjoyed our chat uh, with. Uh, getting your perspective on uh, not only being a film critic, but also, you know, your choice of scores, I thought was really interesting and uh, your reasonings behind it. And so I, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, absolutely. This was, this was a blast. Oh, great. Great. Well, uh, uh, again, you can, uh, I guess, where can they find out about you again? Uh, I mean, uh, not only that one Facebook page, but are there other avenues as well? Or do you want to say like an Instagram or something like that? Oh yeah, there's. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Bill Reviews. That's B I L L Reviews, all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on BigEasyMagazine.com. You can find me on my blog NoRealIdea.com. That's N E A U X R E E L I D E A dot com. Okay, very good. Well, we'll encourage people to do that, and I'll try to put some of that on the website as well. Uh, again, my sincere th- th- thanks, Bill, for joining us. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of What's the Score. Uh, thank you again for listening. Please uh, please tell your friends about the program and uh, try to help it grow in popularity. Uh, until then, there's only, thing, only uh, one thing left to say, and that's simply this, that my name's Frank Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score.